Well, I really do <clears throat> apologize for the fiasco that we had this morning in trying to coordinate the uh, PowerPoint. Uh, what I was trying to communicate is the fact that, you know, how do you make decisions? Okay, thanks. You're welcome, friend. You, how, do you, uh, how, do you, how do you make decisions? Where's that coming from? And then the second thing is, have you, have you given any thought at all to how God has put you together and what He wants to do in and through your life? Because that's, you, know, you can go through life and basically waste it because you never, you never got on track as to who God planned and made and formed you to be. And He did. So um, that was the, th the several things that I wanted to communicate this morning. And so then we set, uh, we talked about setting goals. Um, the, um, the goals are a, um, um, they're, they're my goals. They're not, I don't foster them on anybody else, and neither do the, the other men that I work with, do they foster theirs on me. They're their goals. It's what they feel like God would have them to be and do. And so, uh, but, but if that's the case, if that is what God wants you to be and do, can I help you get there? And that's what we do. That's very, um, that's very powerful. People that um, helping you to become the man and the woman that God made you. That, that's, that's, that's powerful stuff. What we want, I don't have a PowerPoint tonight, so we will spare you the trauma <laughs> of the... Uh, but um, we were talking about the names of God. We're going to talk about who, who, who is this God that we worship. Now, let me make a, I have several things, uh, what I just somewhat uh, jokingly refer to as my MLHs, and that's Madden's latest heresies. <laughs> and one of them is that uh, every struggle that a person has in his Christian life is directly related to his concept of God. Every struggle that you have, if it's insecurity, if it's uh, confusion, I don't care, but the problems that you have are directly related to your concept of who is God to you? And you've got to get that one figured out. Who is God to you? But every problem that you have can be directly traced to what you think about God. So who is God to you? So I went through this book. Let me see where to. Let me see where, what happened to my book. Oh, here it is. This is the book that the men and I went through. It's still in print. I think the guy wrote it in about eight, uh, 1947 or something like that. He was a professor of Hebrew at uh, one of the Moody Bible Institute or something like that in the Chicago area, and he taught Hebrew for 100 years. And then he wrote this, he lectured on this, on who, 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 who is God. As reve God reveals himself to us by his names. And so he wrote this book called The Names of God, Nathan Stone, and, and there, there's the book. It's still in print today. It's amazing. But that's the book that we used and underlined and starred and everything else. Oh, there's my family. Oh, wow. uh, but we wanted to, uh, that is, uh, now we did that, we did this study, we decided to do this study because we, th we thought it would be uh, interesting and we thought it would be helpful. I didn't know it would be just absolutely life-changing. But I don't think I've had anything affect my walk with God, my outlook on life, my perspective. I don't think I've had anything affect me like understanding who God is in His, in his fullness. And so uh, I, I, I'd, I'd recommend it to you. It won't be easy. It's not an easy book. But if you will, but uh, it's worth it. So let me go through some of the names that, as God revealed Himself. And uh, if you want to ask a question, that's fine. Uh, But uh, let me say, just as we start off here, that uh, one of the problems I have with a lot of talks, sermons, 
lectures, whatever you go, is that they, uh, they focus on what? And my question is, and the thing that I, I, we use with the men that I work with is what, so what, and now what? And those are the, the three things that I, I, I've got to have those three things answered before I can leave that study. What? What did God do? What did God say? What did the Jesus do? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then so what? What does that mean? What, um, what was the implication of that? But what, so what, and now what? Now what do I do? How do I implement that? How do I live that way? How does that change my perspective? How does that change my value system? But uh, the thing that I always like to do anytime I'm listening to a sermon is I'm listening to the what, so what, and now what? And I hope you do too. Um, Um, the Navigators started in about 1937, somewhere in there, with one sailor named Les Spencer aboard the USS West Virginia. It was, it was home ported in Long Beach. A mother, Les was from Illinois, I think. Les had joined the Navy to make money so that when he got out of the Navy, he could go to seminary and become a pastor. And he wasn't doing too good. So his mom writes Dawson Trotman and says, would you go by and see my son? He's aboard the USS West Virginia. And so he does. Meets this guy. They spend time together. Here's the amazing thing. You start with one person in 1937. And in 1944, or 45, when the war ended, there was a navigator ministry, not a navigator person, but a full-blown ministry on over a thousand ships and army bases, uh, army bases and ships in the U.S. fleet. And you think, you got to be kidding me. How did you multiply that fast? How did, you, how did you grow that fast? And now these were quality people. They were leading ministries. They were not just people that show up. They're leading ministries <clears throat> aboard ship and aboard the army base and whatever. So how, how did that happen? So I thought that through. I mean, you know, by the way, I really hope you think a lot. That's fun. But it, I hope you think a lot. And so I thought, how did that happen? And I came up with four things. Number one, it was always small groups. Followed up by man-to-man, -man, personal time, Well, first of all, it was always word-centered. Everything had to do with the word. Everything was word-centered. It was quiet time, Bible study, scripture memory. Everything to get to everything was what does the word of God say and how do I live that? So the ministry was word-centered. Number 2 is that it was uh, small groups. Number 3 followed by man to man and number 4 with accountability. And those four were characteristics of this ministry that went from um, one person, one struggling, stumble, bumble, fumbling person to over a thousand ministries across the U.S. fleet in what, seven or eight, eight, nine, ten years? How long have you been at USC? So um, I, I look at that and I think, uh, is that norm? And I look at the ministry that we have at Watermark in Dallas and, and uh, <clears throat> Stonebriar, First Baptist, and some others. And I thought, how do, we, how do we duplicate that? And I think we do the four things. It's always word-centered. It is what does the Word of God say? And number two, small groups. We can't dodge. We can't hide. And number three is man-to-man. -man. I will get with you individually and help you. And number four was accountability. And that did it. That was a phenomenal ministry. Phenomenal. Produced some of the best men the, the Christianity has ever known. Those men got out of the Navy and got out of the Army and whatever. A lot of them went to seminary and a lot of them went as missionaries all over the world. I mean, they were unbelievable people. It was almost like the Cambridge Seven. 
But that's what produced it, those four things. So if you want to have a ministry, you've got to get people in the Word. You've got to, uh, you've got to have small groups. You can't have big, big meetings all the time where you're just lecturing them. And third, you've got to have personal time with them, man to man, and then you've got to hold them to the mark, accountability. But if you'll do that, you'll produce. You will produce good people. Uh, let me, uh, I want to uh, get into the names of God. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this. It's going to be brief. I'm not going to go into the gigantic detail. He would spend about 20 pages per name. And uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, thank you. You're grateful for that. But, um, but the first name that God introduced him, made himself known to man was the name Elohim. Elohim is the God who creates. It was used 31 times in Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 1, Elohim, the God who creates, the God who makes stuff out of nothing, Psalms 33, verse 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's Elohim. He just spoke the world into existence. The, um, the name means basically, you know, unbelievable power, supreme power, uh, sovereignty, omnipotence, um, but the ability to create and then to govern what you created. So Elohim not only created, but he governed what he created. Kind of a strange thing. The name is always plural. And if you don't remember in, in Genesis 2, let, let us make man in our image. The name is always plural. Elohim is not just one, one part of the Godhead. Elohim is the Godhead. It's always in the plural. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. It's, uh, it's used uh, quite a bit throughout. The, it's used 2,570 times. It's, it's quite, um, it's one of the more used names for God. But it means his ability to create unhindered and the ability to govern what he's created. And that's what Elohim. Now, let me get on down. After, after man came on the scene, then God introduced himself to man as Jehovah. That was a, that was a major turning point. Because Jehovah is the God who calls man to righteousness and calls man to uh, a, a righteous, pure, holy life. And Jehovah does that. Um, Jehovah is by far the most used name. I think six, like 6,800 times. By far the most used. But it was first used in Genesis uh, 2-4 in conjunction with, with Elohim. It says, this, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And the Lord God made the heaven. That's Jehovah Elohim. The Lord God made the heavens and the earth. But Jehovah is the supreme name of God. The Jews, to my knowledge, I think this is true, they won't even pronounce it, nor will they write it. It's just too sacred. They will not write the name Jehovah. They'll write Yahweh or something like that. They will not write Jehovah because it is just too sacred. Um, the name literally means to be, which means that Jehovah is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is absolutely self-existent. He is absolutely eternal life. Eternal and unchangeable. Now, Jehovah is the supreme name of God. I think the other names mostly have to do with what Jehovah did. Jehovah Yireh, I, I am your provider. Jehovah Nisi, I'm your banner. Jehovah, you know, Rophe, I'm your healer. 
It's what he did, but Jehovah was who he was. The holy God who called you to righteous living. And so it is the supreme name of God, Jehovah. Um, it is Jehovah that places man under moral obligations. It is Jehovah that demands that man be righteous. Now here's an amazing thing. Jehovah Elohim called man into existence as the one being on earth who had the capacity for the enjoyment of God. So Elohim Jehovah makes man, plural, makes man. But then man is as the only creation on earth who has the capacity to enjoy God. And let me just kind of sidestep here. I hope that you enjoy God. I think I do. I really enjoy God. He and I have a lot of fun together. I speak real clearly to him. I don't hesitate to say something to God. It may sound bad, but since he already knows my thoughts, I might as well say it. But I, I have a very honest, deep personal relationship with God. I really enjoy God. I really enjoy being in His presence. <clears throat> now, amazingly, that the attributes, the attributes, buttes, which appear in the name Jehovah, were not needed in creation. So Elohim. There was no Jehovah. And, but Jehovah came into being when man was created. And man himself, um, the attributes which appear in the name Jehovah were not needed in the creation of the world, but they were needed when man came into existence. Because man sinned, and now you need this God who calls you to righteousness, calls you to purity, a God of righteousness, holiness, love, and redemption. Now you must have Jehovah. Elohim won't do it. And so, um, by the way, let me just, uh, when Satan confronted Eve, yea, hath God said, you know who the God he used? He used Elohim. Satan never, ever, ever uses the name Jehovah when he talks about God. He uses the name Elohim. Because Satan does not, he cannot, he cannot bring into the picture Jehovah, who is righteous and, and, and redeems mankind and, and gives uh, to that man might know him. So Satan never did that. He never, when he confronted Eve, he always used the name Elohim, not, never Jehovah. Here's another one. When uh, they ordered the animals into the ark, you ever wonder about that? How'd they get those animals in that ark? Well, see, you got to realize that Elohim made those animals. And he manages all that he made. So Elohim says, okay, you, you, on the boat. And that's what, okay, you, you, on the boat. And they did. There's no problem. Except, except, Elohim loaded the boat, except the clean animals. And those were the animals that we would use to offer burnt offerings to God when we finally got through this ordeal and the ark came to rest and we left the ark and we offered sacrifices to God. We would need clean animals to do that. Jehovah loaded the clean animals. That, uh, it was Elohim. It was Elohim who ordered Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But here's an amazing thing about it. It was Jehovah who supplied the ram. So when he spoke to Abraham and he said, and he showed him that was Jehovah. Abraham, and I, I've thought about that. I, um, why did he do that? That seems rather drastic, don't you think? Sacrifice your kid? And I wondered about that. And I read uh, 
In the Revelation chapter 3 where it talks about the church at Ephesus, what was wrong with the church at Ephesus? They had left their first love. And so I, I just wondered um, if Isaac, being the son of Abraham's old age, he was over 100. I think he loved that kid. I think he thoroughly enjoyed that kid. And Abraham and Isaac had so much good time, so many good times together. And I, I just wondered if, uh, if God says to Abraham, um, you know, when, um, when they were, um, Jesus was resurrected and he, he found the, the, the disciples fishing. And he went up to them and he made, made breakfast for them and they came over. And do you remember what he asked him? He said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? Now, you would think, well, God, I thought God was, you know, uh, I thought God was omniscient. I thought he knew everything. He does. But he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think it was, it was almost a temptation for Abraham that he just, he so thoroughly enjoyed Isaac. I just wondered if it was becoming a problem of his first love. I don't know that. But I just wonder about that. I know that uh, when uh, he's, he ordered him to sacrifice Isaac, and then Jehovah provided the ram, and he stopped him. You know the first three words out of God's mouth? He stopped him. And then he said, now I know. Isn't that good? And God says to Abraham, now I know. And I thought, wow, wow. But here's Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. Abraham, do you love Isaac more than you love me? Is he becoming first in your life? I don't know that. But I think it's a possibility. And so he sacrificed him. No, God, he is not. And then God says to Abraham, now I know. What a beautiful picture. Now I know. And I think sometimes in your life that God just needs to know. Do you, uh, do you love me more than these? Do you want to follow me regardless? Do you want to be my servant, my bond slave? I mean, is that what you want? I just need to know. And I think often God will put us to the test for us to know. As Jehovah, His holiness must condemn. But Jehovah is also love, and His love redeems. That's why Jehovah had to come on the scene when man, man came on the scene, because man would, re, would rebel against God, would sin against God, and it was Jehovah who would redeem him from his fallen state. And man needed Jehovah. He didn't need just some, somebody who created out of nothing and was all-powerful and omnipotent. He needed someone who loved him and cared for him and would do whatever it took to re redeem him. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they went and hid, right? Do you know what God went looking for them? That was Jehovah. Jehovah went looking for them. It was Jehovah that wanted to redeem them. The love of Jehovah does not forsake fallen men. I can't tell you why, the comfort that I take in that. Well, the next, uh, in Genesis 17, he introduces his third name. Genesis 17, 1. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 99 years old. <clears throat> It was um, El, El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. You remember the, the song that Amy Grant sang? You, you guys remember that song? What a phenomenal song. I love that song. I play that thing all the time. I YouTube that bad boy up and just sit there and listen. <laughs> listen to it for a couple of times. It is so good. I just, I just listen to El Shaddai. 
It's such a good song. But, <clears throat> but he, this was the Hebrews, their favorite name for God was El Shaddai. First appears in Genesis 17.1. But you know what it doesn't mean? We think El Shaddai, God Almighty. What that means is that God has the power to do anything and everything at any time. That's not what it means. So what does it mean? And this was a stunning, this was a stunning revelation. When you begin to get into these names and you begin to re realize who God is and the totality of the ministry of God, it's just mind-boggling. But um, what does it mean? Um, the word L, just the E-L, uh, is used over 250 times by itself. It means God Almighty. L. Do you remember when uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel? And he says, um, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And by the way, I have been on my knees sobbing before God as I tell him, I will not let you go. I don't care how rough it is. I don't care how bad I've done. I will not let you go. And that's what, uh, so when the angel said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. I, uh, I don't envy that for you, but I do. Those are, those are times when your relationship to God is just grounded in, in solidity and grounded in, in uh, reality. It, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I'm going to tell a story here just a minute. I think I'm, I hope I don't forget it, but, uh, but um, you know what the word Shaddai means? El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know what the word Shaddai means? El means God Almighty. Now here's a shocker. The word shad, shad means breast. And you think, what? But you know what the meaning is? Is it means one who nourishes, who supplies, who satisfies you. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am the one who nourishes you, who satisfies you, who supplies you with everything you could possibly need. And when you connect that with El, El Shaddai, what you come out with is that God is my all-sufficient one. And I can't tell you when I realize, I'm studying this stuff, okay? I'm trying to dig this stuff out. And when I came across that, I thought, I just was stunned. But God tells me, Chuck, I am all you need. I'm all you need. That is an amazing statement. But here's a question. Uh, well, I'll read, El Shaddai is able because he is almighty. He is El. He's able to carry out his plans and his purposes. He's able to overcome any obstacle or any opposition to carrying out his plan. El Shaddai. I will be your sufficiency. I will be your nourishment. I will be that, the one who supplies you with that which you need. Now, <clears throat> found in the book of Job 31 times. You've know, you got to be kidding me. In Job? But here is the stunning. It's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. But it, it, it catches you by surprise. And that is the all-sufficient one who makes us fruitful most often finds it necessary to purge us that we might bring forth more fruit. That is the ministry of El Shaddai. He, he, not only, uh, he is not only the one who satisfies you, but he is the one who purges you of those things which are hindering you in order that he might give you better things. You remember when Naomi came back from the land of Moab? She went over with her husband and her two sons, and they married Moabite women. This is the book of Ruth. Love Ruth. 
Love Ruth. I could camp out in Ruth. <laughs> so many good lessons. They come back. And Naomi says, El Shaddai has made, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, bitter, because El Shaddai has made my life bitter. And she was right. And she knew who had done it. She wasn't, she wasn't um, mad at God, and she wasn't uh, resentful, but she knew who had done it. God did this. El Shaddai did this. He stripped me of everything I had. El Shaddai is the God who judges, who chastens, who purges, that he might be bountiful to you. Let me give you a poem. I'm not a big poem guy, but this is appropriate. <clears throat> one by one, he took them from me. All the things, uh, the, all the things I cherished the most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth sideways, grieving in my rags and poverty, until I heard a voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. And he says, so I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own abundant goodness till they could hold no more. And at last I contemplated with my foolish mind so dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. And that's what he does. He removes that which you may dearly love, but it is hindering you. Wherefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 1. But that's what he does. Lay aside every weight. Get rid of the, the things that are dragging you down. Get rid of the things that are sin in your life. And El Shaddai will do that. I went from having, my wife and I, when we sold our asphalt paving operation in uh, Texarkana, Texas, Mark Marietta bought us out. We made a good deal. and We were in good shape. I don't know exactly the dollar figure, but it was just under $4 million. So I'm worth almost $4 million. Hey, <laughs> I can get by on that. <clears throat> Today, I'm $40,000 in a hole. What happened? You sinned? Did, uh, did you disobey God? Did you uh, uh, rebel? And God, uh, and the answer is no, none of the above. My walk with God has never been better. So why? So why? And let me give you just a, I don't know if this is true or not. I went down, my wife and I, by the way, my, uh, my three kids are all hurting. My wife is hurting. I'm hurting. All of us are. So I go to God and I said, you know, God, the scriptures tell me that seek ye first the kingdom is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I said, God, I have done that. I mean, there's no way that my life could not be evaluated in the sense that I did that. I sought you first. I placed you first in, in my life. You are the owner of everything that I have. I've made you my Lord in everything. And so has my wife. And so has my kids. So where's the deal? Where's your part? My wife and I were uh, driving back. We, my, my kids, both divorced, horrendous divorce. Uh -oh, there's so much pain, so many tears, trying to do something for the kids when you don't have any money, you don't have any, I mean, you, you have no answers. And so both of them are hurting. So we drive down to where they're renting a house in Wimberley, and we do all we can to help. So we're driving back one night up I-35, and I says to my wife, I said, you know, if I had anything, I'd sell it and I'd help my, and my kids would not suffer like they're suffering. I mean, if I had anything, we're driving along in the dark, probably 10 o'clock at night. And she said, me too. If I had anything that I could liquidate and help my kids, I would. 
but I got nothing. And then I reflected back, and this is kind of sin on my part, but I reflected back on uh, how hard it had been for me to ask God to make my kids godly kids. That was hard. You know why that was hard? Because I knew what it would cost them. I knew that. I knew that if God turned my kids into, into, into wholehearted, devoted followers of Him, it would cost them terribly. It would be a stripping process. I knew that. I have been there. And so we're driving up the road, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm, I, I, I just break out in amazement that this God, I prayed, it took me, oh, probably about, now they're in their 50s, they're early, well, I think 150, 151. And I prayed this prayer, I finally got the nerve to pray this prayer about five or six years ago. I couldn't pray it before then. That's sin on my part, I know I'm not trusting God, you're right. But I knew what they would go through because I've been through it. And so I'm driving up the road thinking, you know, God, could you possibly have stripped us of everything we had so that when you were doing a work in their lives to make them the women of God that you choose, we, we couldn't get in the way. Is that what you did? And it just dawned on me. It just became clear to me that what God had done, El Shaddai, that he had stripped us of everything we had so that when he began to work in my kid's life, I couldn't get in his way. That's, that's an amazing God. That's an amazing God that loves your kids that much that he will put you through a stripping process in order to answer your prayers. I, uh, I love the name El Shaddai. You know why I love the name El Shaddai? It's because he is my all-sufficiency. I need nothing apart from El Shaddai. I can, I can, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. I can follow that God. I can humble myself and submit myself to that God. Well, the next name was the name Adonai. And I remember when we as a group, my, my accountability group, were doing this study, and we came across the name Adonai. And I remember Cliff showed up, and he said, you know, this was a hard study. Man, this thing is hard. And then he began to explain his understanding of Adonai. And Adonai, by the way, it's used about 300 times, always in the plural. The name Adonai indicates the truth that God is the owner of each member of the human race and consequently claims the unrestricted obedience of all. That's what the name Adonai means. God says to me, Adonai, he is the unrestricted owner of every member of the human race and has the perfect right to all that every man has and what he, what he has and what he was. Complete possession. The prophets in the Old Testament, most of the prophets were called to serve God by Adonai. I own you. Prophet after prophet. David often states, I am your servant, which means I am your bond slave. And he refers to he refers to God as Adonai. I am your bond slave. I, have, I own and have nothing. It's used hundreds of times in the New Testament of Jesus. And Jesus is Adonai. He owns everything. Just the... Uh, Let's move on forward here. Uh, you know when the Apostle Paul was going to Damascus 
to chain the prisoners, uh, the Christians, put them in chains, bind them, bring them back. And a bright light knocked him to his knees. You remember that? And then the Apostle Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? Do you know what he said? What the Apostle Paul said right there with his face in the dirt is, Who art thou, Adonai? My owner, my master, who art thou, Adonai? And Paul immediately recognized that this was this that this was this was not Jehovah or El Shaddai. This was Adonai. As I was doing this study, I lay down in bed at night. I always like to pray before I go to sleep and spend time, spend time reflecting on the day. How'd it go? Need to change anything tomorrow? And then I pray. I have a great time in prayer. And I can say, you know, I don't have to, my, my prayers don't have to be real sweet. They can just be out there, you know, just frontal assault. And that's how I pray. I have such a good relationship with God. I think God enjoys me praying to Him. He enjoys me doing that. I get the idea that uh, that God really longs for my coming to Him and just spending time with Him. I do. I do that. But I was laying there one night praying, and I asked myself, who, 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 who are you praying to? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to Elohim? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to El Shaddai? Are you talking to Jehovah? You talking to, I mean, who are you talking to? And I lay there in bed wondering, what God am I addressing? And you know, then, then a, this a startling thought came to me that just just was revolutionary to me. And that is, I'm praying to all of them. They're all mine. All of God. All that He is. I mean, from Elohim to Jehovah Shammah. They're all mine. They're all my God. I'm praying to all of them. And I just can't say the, uh, what that meant to me, that this, this totality of God and all that He is, I, I, I'm, I'm talking to him, and he's concerned. And he always does that which is in my best interest. I'm thinking, wow, it's just been phenomenal. But the, um, I'll give you a kind of a quick summary of the rest, maybe the rest of them. Jehovah Yireh, uh, that was when Abraham sacrificed, and, he, and Jehovah gave him the ram, and he called it Jehovah Yireh. God is my provider. That's where that came from. Genesis, Genesis 22, 14. God is my provider. Then there was a, God meets your every need. God is your provider. He doesn't provide sometimes. He doesn't provide occasionally. God is your provider. And the reason I wanted to talk about the names of God here is because I wanted you to understand who this God is and wh how, how he thinks about you. <clears throat> Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals our wounds and sweetens our... Do you know what the, when that happened, Exodus 15, 26, they were going across the wilderness and they ran out of water for three days, had no water. And then they finally come to Mara and there's water. And they go, oh, thank goodness. Except that it's bitter. They can't, take, they can't drink it. It's terrible. It's horrible. And so God says to Moses, well, you take that tree over there and drag it over here and throw it into the middle of that lake. And that'll make, and, and that'll make the water sweet. And he did, and it did. And you know what, Jehovah, so that the name became Jehovah, our healer, the one who heals us. But you know what the real, I mean, the, the personal application is? It is Jehovah, the, the water was bitter. They couldn't drink it, and then it became sweet. 
And Jehovah is the one who takes the bitter experiences that we have in life and makes them sweet. That is Jehovah Rophe, the one who takes the rough things in life, the things that just hurt so bad, and makes them sweet. Jehovah Rophe, God is my healer. Um, Jehovah uh, Nisi, uh, God is my banner. They, uh, they went out to fight, and God was there. But this is when Moses went up on the hill with Aaron on one side and Ben-Hur on the other side, and they held up the banner. And, and he prayed, Genesis 17, 1, I think it is. But Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. Genesis 17, 11. Then there was another one, Jehovah M. Kedish, which means that God sanctified, God who sets me apart. But there was another one called Jehovah Shalom. And that was when Gideon was told by the angels to go and fight the Midianites and deliver Israel from the Midianites. Now he's in a wine press hiding, beating out wheat in a wine press because he's scared stiff. And this angel says, I want you to go and take on the whole nation of Midian. So he tears down his dad's two altars. One was uh, Asherah and the other was to Baal. He tears them down. Does it at night. This guy's full of courage. <laughs> Does it at night. And then he builds an altar to God. Do you know what he called the altar? This is shocking to me. Jehovah Shalom. And I think, wait a minute, wait a minute, Gideon. Wait a minute. Uh, you, you got the cart before the horse here. Uh, Gideon, you need to be building an altar maybe to Je Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner, God who fights my battles for me, not Jehovah Shalom. Because what you're doing, what you're doing, Gideon, is you're acting like the battle's already over. And, and Gideon says, yeah, that's right. I'm, I built an altar as if the battle was already over. And I went back and I reflected on, you, you know the verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, Jehovah Shalom, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. An incomparable peace of God. Here's as I reflected on that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 passage, you know there was no answer to prayer. He doesn't say, you know, that uh, you'll go and pray then God will answer your prayer and you'll be happy. You'll have peace. He didn't say that at all. He's, and so I realized that I go and I pray and the reason I have peace is not because of what God is going to do. The reason I have peace is because I gave it to Him. And I know that whatever He does is going to be right. It's going to be the best thing. I know that. And I gave it to Him. And I have peace. You know, I was talking to a Hindu lady one day. She was a professor out at Collin County College. And I'd have lunch with her every now and then. And... Uh, so I walked out there one day to sit down, and she comes in and she flops down her book. She was a professor, and she says, I got a question. He said, what I don't understand is why is it that you seem to always be at peace, and I'm not. Man, I'm tight. I'm, I'm uptight. I got problems bothering me. I got things just eating me up. But I get with you. You look like you, you're my man of peace. Why is that? So I said, well, Anima, um, one reason is because my God knows everything. He knows everything about me. He knows everything that's happening. He knows my circumstances, everything. I said, secondly, my God is all-powerful. He can do anything. He can change anything. But I said, the main thing is that my God loves me, which means he always does that which is in my best interest. Always. If we talk about love tomorrow, I hope you get that. That that's what love is. That God always does what's in your best interest. Never fails to do that. But so I told her those three things. I said, therefore, therefore, regardless of the circumstances that I encounter every day, you're right, I do have peace. But because of those three facts. Jehovah Shalom. Let me give you one other, just maybe. This is the last one. This, 
This name of God was revealed when they were in captivity. And Ezekiel, the prophet, would go to them and tell them that God is going to restore you. God is going to bring you back. He's not only just going to bring you back to where you now are back in your own land. He is going to restore your fortune, restore your goodwill. He's going to restore everything that you were. (coughs) (coughs) And he called it Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Jacob. Jacob says, and let us rise. This is 35, about verse 8, Genesis 35, 8. And let us rise and go to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me everywhere I have gone. And so Ezekiel says, you've been in captivity, and God has never missed a beat. He has never left your side. He has never been unaware of where you are and what's going on in your life. God is with you. He never leaves you. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Uh. Let me see if I can quote this verse. I just worked on this one a couple of months ago, but I'm making quote it. Isaiah 43, 5, 6, and 7. It says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You, you got to get this, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Do you believe that? You know, we talked earlier today, you know, well, you know, what do you believe? And I firmly, do you believe it? Do you believe that? <clears throat> and, and, and God tells, you know, who has born, <clears throat> you who have been born from the womb and carried from the, born from birth and carried from the womb. Then he says this, even to your graying years, I am he. I, I am he, meaning I am the great I am. Even to your graying years, I am he. I never change. And even to your um, even no, even to your old age, I am He, and even to your graying years, I am with I am with you. I have made you, and I will bear you, and I will carry you, and I will deliver you. Now God promises us. I mean, He is never, ever, ever, ever leave. He never leaves us. I don't care how you feel. Like one guy says, you know, feelings are real, but they're not reliable. But, the, uh, but that, that is Jehovah Shammah. I have never left you. I will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5, you know that one. Let your life be free from the love of money and, and be content with such things as you have. For he, hims, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I read someplace where, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it could be. But the guy says, if you want to get the real impact of that verb tense, you have to say it five times. So I said, well, I don't know where he got that, but it sounds good to me. And, and so I would say that, you know, for he, for he himself has said, I will never, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. That's what this says. I don't know about you, but that kind of flips my switch. I, I, uh, I can go with that. I can go with that God. I can worship that God. I can follow that God. So that's the, uh, those are some of the names of God. But I just want you to realize that all of them are yours. Now let me ask, let me say this. This is one of my, another one of my latest heresies. But the fact is that, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, the greatest gift he gave to you was not the forgiveness of your sin. That was phenomenal. But the greatest gift that he gave to you was not eternal life. But when Jesus died on that cross, 
The greatest gift he gave to you was God. I give you God because I'm alienated. I'm a stranger. I have nothing to do. I know nothing about this God. I'm a stranger. I'm alienated from him. And Jesus died on that cross, and he gave me this God who is Jehovah, you know, Rophe and Elohim and El Shaddai and so forth. And he gave me that God when he died on that cross. I'm just stunned by what he did for us. So here's a question. God comes to you and he says, this is who I am. I've always been this way. It's probably better than you can imagine. But here's the question. How much of me do you want? How much of me do you want? Do you want, uh, do you want my El Shaddai where I come into your life and remove that which is hindering you and replaces it, placing it with that which is wonderful and so, so great for you? Do you want that? Do you, how much of me do you want? I was talking to Neil, and Neil made a kind. He'd heard a guy sometime, you know, it's like going up to a gas station. How much gas do you want? He said, well, I'll take about $5 worth. And we go to church. And we say, how much, God, how much of God do I want? Well, give me about $5 worth. I don't want to get too serious about this. But give me about $5. And that's how we do. And God says to you, I, I, I'm all these. I'm all of this. Don't you want all of me? Our call. And I, uh, the names of God. He revealed himself, who he is, by his names. And I pray that in your heart of hearts, <clears throat> you decide that I'm going with this God. I, I, I can follow this God. I can worship this God. I hope you're doing that. So anybody got a question? Yes, Audrey? The Names of God by Nathan Stone. It's a good little book. It's about 200. Mine's all marked up and everything, but uh, The Names of God. Still in print. Probably been in print, you know, 80 years or something. Yes? What was the Isaiah 43 verse you were talking about? Isaiah, uh, that was... See. Yeah, 46, uh, 5 through 7. That's the verse where, uh, that's, that's just a phenomenal verse. Yeah, 46, 3 through, three through 4. But it's just the, uh, the care that God exercises toward us, largely unaware of it. Most of us have no idea what all God is doing for us. We're unaware of it. Yeah. yeah I have a question um, for Jehovah. When, when it's combined with those other attributes, yeah. does that still have the attribute of kindness to righteousness, or is that... Yeah, but it's but it's, it's it's Jehovah, the righteous God, wanting to do these things for you. Okay. Yeah, He's still righteous, and He is still um, calling us to righteous, sanctified life. But this is like Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tish, Tishkenu, and Jehovah Roi. Just the different names there. Anybody? Any other question? Well, I. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, that I was somewhat able to make it tonight and, uh, uh, because I wanted, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like this is so critical to your health, to your outlook, to your perspective, to your value system. It, it helps you live rightly. <clears throat> but, you know, we'll go back to the first statement I made, ever struggle that a man has is directly related to his concept of God. Who is God to you? Every struggle you have, 
will come down to that. Now, I'm not talking about having a bad cold or something like that, but I'm talking about struggles that you have in life. It will come down to who, do you th who is God to you, directly related to his concept of God. I, uh, I really uh, am so thankful that I have a group of men I can meet with and uh, we're honest with each other. And we all, you know, we love God and loving Him more. We're all growing. We're all maturing. But uh, that, that's so fun. But uh, anybody got any other comments or questions that you'd like to make? Well, as we uh, Christians say to one another, good luck. <laughs>